So we're uh, picking up our backstory of Christmas this morning in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. And I'll confess to you in the early service, I forgot to turn on my mic. And everybody still smiled at me. I don't know if that means that they could hear me or that they couldn't. But either way, they went home happy. So I'll count it as a win. So uh, Colossians chapter 1, and we're beginning at verse 15. <clears throat> Christ is the invisible image of the, visi in, the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's debt blood on the cross. This includes all of you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. <clears throat> but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away <clears throat> from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news that has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. So last week, uh, we started this series uh, by backing up from the manger scene into time and space, uh, beyond time and space, to, to eternity. And, and looking at how Jesus was part of creation, how he set the world in motion. It tells us in John's prologue, as John starts to write his gospel, his story of Jesus' life on earth, he says the, the, this detail is the thing that he wants to set up the story with. So he tells in his prologue about how Jesus was from the beginning, how Jesus was the creator, how everything that was made was made by him and for him, and so he sets the tone for the story of Jesus' earthly life by setting up the fact that Jesus always was, that he was there from before the beginning and that the world was spinning because of him. And so as we pick up our, our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul in Colossians starts kind of at the same place with, with creation. And so after Jesus had lived and died, and we have all those stories that are there in John's gospel, just like Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We pick up the story afterwards, and, and we realize that uh, as the Apostle Paul comes on the scene and he learns of the risen Jesus, he too has this same beginning point to share with the church, a little church in a place called Colossus. 
And so there are a group of people who have started to follow Jesus there. And, and this is one of the few churches that Paul writes to that he didn't start. Like it wasn't the place that uh, he went and started a church and then he's writing back to them. He's writing a church that was actually started by a guy named Epaphras who came and, and told the people in Colossus about Jesus and some of them believed and they gathered together and they'd worship. And so Paul hears about them and he's writing them to give them some basics of the Christian faith, to give them some tools uh, to help them follow Jesus and to know what this is all about, what it means to have faith in him and what it means to follow him. And uh, so in chapter one, before our passage this morning, uh, he says, this same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It's bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. So he says, the good news is, uh, of Jesus is going out everywhere, and everywhere it goes, it changes lives. Like, nobody hears it without being impacted by it. And there's always some people who turn away from it, but there's always some too that, that take it in and, and start to believe it and it starts to work its way into their lives so that their lives are shaped by the truth of who Jesus was. And so Paul tells them that, that it never comes back without having some kind of impact when it's preached. And he says, you guys know about it because of Epaphras. And so he says, the same good news that came to you, like it's not just happening in your hometown, it's been going on all over the world of the time. And so Paul writes them this letter, and we've looked into this letter, but, but this morning in this passage, it's really significant that he's, he's saying to them, look, wherever the good news goes out, uh, it happens like that. And, and this story of Jesus the same story that, that John told, the same story that now Paul has, has heard, Epaphras has told them, that story of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and his death and his resurrection, it, it has impact, like it does something. And if you, if you encounter that story and you allow it to, to move into your life, if you start to believe in it, it starts to change who you are. And Paul wants them also to have spiritual wisdom and to guide their lives. And so he says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's what he's praying for them, that they'll have complete knowledge of God's will and they'll have wisdom and understanding. That's the goal of why he's writing. That's, that's the reason that this story is told again and again to people is not just so that they'll believe it's true and say, oh, isn't that nice? And, and what a fun fact that is, but so that it'll have an impact on them. He knows that life is hard and that sometimes there's struggles that we face and he knows that the world is not always a kind place. So he knows that they'll also need endurance and patience and that uh, it, it, life should be about more than just enduring and patiently getting through things, but that there really should be some joy in it. And so he says, we also pray that you'll be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience you need. What a prayer. We pray that you'll be strengthened with God's glorious power so that you'll have all the endurance and patience you need. May you be filled with joy. That's what he's asking God for them. 
And so it's good news and it provides wisdom and understanding and it's practical. It helps them to, to tap into that power, the power that set the cosmos in motion, the power that created everything that's created in the entire universe. That same power, he says, that's the power that you tap into and that's the power that gives us endurance. That's the power that helps us get through the struggle when life's really hard. It's the thing that gives us patience when things are really tedious and life's really pushing on you. And then he says, may you be filled with joy because that power, ultimately, when you overcome those struggles, you can experience the joy of the Lord. And so it's good news and it gives wisdom and patience and endurance and understanding and joy. And that's the point in, the, in Paul's writing, when he launches into this hymn, this song of the church, like we've just been singing praise songs to Jesus. We've been telling him how great he is and, and how much we love him. But, but if you can imagine, sometimes we sing hymns, and, and I love singing the old hymns too. And, and one of the favorite things I like about them is that you can feel this sense of history in them, right? Sometimes it's in the language, but sometimes it's just knowing that your, your, your parents and your grandparents and, and people of former generations have sung these same words gathered to worship just like we are. You feel this sense of connection with those who have gone before us and, and held out their faith and, and maybe taught us the faith and handed it down or handed it down to somebody who handed it down to somebody who handed it down to us. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, he shares this hymn with us. And if it's exciting to look back at some of the old hymns of the church, can you imagine we're reading the words that they gathered and sang. They, they gathered in Colossus, these people who didn't know anything about Jesus till Epaphras came and told them. And they're so impacted by the story, by the understanding of the truth of who Jesus was, that, that this is one of the songs that they gather and sing. And this is the words of the hymn, the first verse that he, that he, he uh, quotes to them. He says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything else was created and he's supreme over creation, like he's the one. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. That's the first verse of the song. And then Paul adds in, he says, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Like he's telling them that, that Jesus created everything, just like we talked about last week. And, and as we backed up the story and, and looked from that angle that Jesus is the one at the beginning who creates everything, Paul's saying the same thing. It's like he's standing in line with John before him and, and, and with the Old Testament where we have the same story of in the beginning, God creating, and he goes, that God that created in the beginning, that God that John talked about and, and, and pointed out that Jesus was that God, and now the same guy, we're talking about him again and we're singing about him again because he's worthy and because we want to understand and we want to learn how to have perseverance and we want to learn what it is to have patience in our practical struggles and we want to experience joy even when life is rough. And he says, that's exactly why we sing songs like this. That's exactly why these words are so important. It's not just a theological truth. It's not just something that we say, yeah, I believe that. Jesus created the world. He's God. Yeah, okay, yeah. 
check, I believe it. He's saying that matters. And so he says he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Like, like he covers everything. Even the stuff you can't look at and see in front of your face, he created everything. And so kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world, like stuff that happens that you can't even clock, it's, it's all because of him. And then he goes on to say, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So he goes further than John. John mentions and, and, and talks about how Jesus created everything, and it was made for him, and it was made by him. But, but Paul now is quoting this hymn that reminds us that he's not just the one who created it back then, but he's the one who's holding it together now. Like he didn't just wind it up and set it going and, and, and book back to heaven and wait and watch and judge us. He's, he's actively involved in holding everything together, even though it feels sometimes like it's spinning apart. He's active. He's working. He's pulling it together so that the world doesn't spin out of control, even though it feels like it does sometimes. He's holding it all together. And Christ is also, he says, the head of the church, which is his body. He says that is significant. So he's not just creating the world, he's hanging on to the world and he's pulling the world together and he's making sure it doesn't spin out of control. And he's also the head of the church, the people of God. He didn't just create the world, but he created us. He doesn't just hold it all together, he holds us together. And so then he launches into the second verse of the song and he says, he is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he's first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ and through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So Jesus created but he's also active in holding it together. But now he says something even more personal to us. He says, he's not just holding the world together, he's pulling us together. Like there are ways that our world is broken. There are ways that our lives are broken. There are ways that our relationships get broken, right? And it's sad that that happens. It's sad that people treat each other poorly and, and, and sometimes relationships can't be be fixed and they seem so damaged and broken down. But Paul quotes this hymn and he says, you gotta remember this truth, that God holds the world together, but he's pulling us together and pulling us towards himself. He's reconciling everything to himself. He made peace with us so that he's pulling us closer to him. And as we get closer to him, we just naturally get closer to each other so that all the damage and all the brokenness and all the fragmentation in our relationships are pulled back together in Jesus. And he's making things better for us. So he goes on to say, though this includes you who are once far away from him. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Like you did stuff that broke down the whole system 
and pulled you away from God, but yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he's brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Like that's the goal. That's what he's after. He wants to fix what's broken. He wants to pull together people that are torn apart. And he wants to repair broken relationships so that we don't treat each other the way that we sometimes do so that we're hurt and we're damaged and we walk around wounded because of the way other people have treated us and the way we've treated them. And so he's trying to fix what's most broken. And so he's not just active in pulling the world together, but he's active in pulling us towards him and towards wholeness where we most are wounded, where we most need healing, and where we feel most broken and most hurt. And so if you can imagine this morning, if we talked about in the John's prologue that we were backing up from the manger scene and the camera was kind of going wide and picking up the entire universe and that Jesus, who was in the manger, who made himself small and vulnerable, was big, really big and really powerful. And that he reduces himself to that vulnerable little baby. And now, as Paul unpacks the same story, he takes the picture of Jesus, the creator, and he zooms back in. But this time, the camera's not on the baby in the manger. The camera is on us, who are hurting and broken and fragmented and separated from each other by our sinfulness and our harm that we've done to each other and the way people treat each other and all of our brokenness that makes us hurt people who hurt people. And he says that same creator God, that same God with all that power, with the power that you can't even imagine that set it all in motion, that holds it all in place and that is looking after all of that, all of that power, all of that is at work in people to fix what's wrong in our world and to set it right and to reset the whole thing the way it should be. And so he works and he pleads he reduces himself and is willing to give up heaven for that so that he can accomplish something in us that nothing else can do. And so Paul says, remember what we sang? Remember who he is. Remember what he did and what he is doing. He's the firstborn of the dead. He was dead and he rose. And because he rose, we can rise. Because he came back from the dead, we can come back from our deadness. Because the power that rose him is at work in you to redeem you 
and to change you and to transform you until you are like Jesus. And he's not short on power. And he's not unmotivated to fix what's wrong. He's not absent. And he's not oblivious. And he's not just waiting in heaven to judge you one day. Paul wants us to know that he's here and he's now and he's active and he cares and he wants to make it right. And so he quotes this song to the believers and he says, look, if we're just singing words, that's one thing, but I really believe this. Jesus is at work. And the power of his gospel has been going out all over the world and it's changed lives wherever it's gone, just like it changed yours. Don't forget it. Hang on to it. Live in it. Know this truth. Be shaped by this. Don't just believe it and check it off and say, yeah, I believe it. Live in it and know who you are. You're the people of God. You're step two of the plan. You rise from the dead like he rose from the dead. You are coming back to life. You're being changed. And you're changing things around you because you are. He's not telling them so they can show off how much they know. He's not doing it so they can check a list and they can go to heaven one day. He's telling them because that truth should shape the rest of our lives every moment. He says, if you know that and you believe it, you, you can't walk around and act as if it's not true. And you can't walk around fearful of everything that the world can throw at you if you believe that power is at work in you and you know and sense and watch and see what it does. Because as soon as you say yes to that power, it does stuff. It never lies there dormant. Can you imagine if we gathered this morning and we decided, everyone sitting in here decided, you know what, I don't even know what you got planned next, God. I don't even know what you want from me. But just so you know, my answer is yes. Like if you're getting ready to do something in Whitewater region, count me in. I, I don't know what it is, but if you're doing it, you got me. If you're recreating me so that you can use me to help recreate the world, then the answer is yes. No qualifiers, no caveats, no fine print, just yes. Do you know what happens after that? Because John knew what happened after that. And Paul knew what happened after that. Because they both encountered Jesus. <laughs> and you don't walk away unchanged when you've met Jesus. <laughs> Not if you've really run into him. Not unless you say no to him when he asks you. Paul says it's happening everywhere. It happened with you guys. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever lean in the other direction. 
God will do stuff that you can't even imagine. And Whitewater will never be the same again if we say yes to him. He will use you. I mean, he uses people like me, so the bar is pretty low. But he will do stuff in you. He will lead you on the adventure of your lives. And you will have patience and endurance that you can't even imagine right now because you feel the pressures of the world. And he will give you joy in the journey, not because nothing will get thrown at you, but because you will be relying on him and believing in this truth. If you let him do what he wants to do, you will understand that the God who created the universe is pointing all of his power at you. He won't force you, so he's saying, give me permission. Just say yes, and we will do stuff. <laughs> and we'll go places, and you will see the power of God at work in the world in ways that are incredible and beautiful and transformative. If you believe. Just say yes, because it's what he wants to do. It's what he's always wanted to do. It's what he planned to do from the very beginning of time. He knows what he wants. And now it's up to us to decide whether we're with him or not. I hope your heart says yes.